0: The sounds of the harpsichord remind us that once again it is Wednesday, and time for Wednesdays with Wesley. Thanks for joining me. My name is Bob Kaler, pastor of Tri Lakes United Methodist Church in Monument, Colorado. I've heard a lot from some of you about the uh, from the about the harpsichord music, and uh, yeah, it's probably not the greatest theme music in the world. And I have someone in my church who said maybe I should write you some and and write some new theme music. And I said, that'd be great. But every time I listen to this harpsichord music, it reminds me a bit of being in Charles Wesley's house in Bristol, there in the UK, where there is a harpsichord. And when we have gone to visit there, um, they will actually allow someone to sit down and play the harpsichord. So it just reminds me of so many of the Wesley hymns that were composed on the harpsichord there. And um, it's a nice little tune, at least for this first part of of our podcast, Life Together, we're continuing in the discourses on the Sermon on the Mount. And today we've reached Discourse 11 of 13. And the text for this discourse is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now, to do a, a little bit of, re- of review from last time, from Discourse 10, we talked about the hindrances to holiness there, uh, which were primarily around judgment, around failure to ask God to, to change our hearts and minds, to change the hearts and minds of others, failure to obey the golden rule, throwing our pearls before swine, all of that kind of contained in one of the major hindrances to holiness. And that's more of an internal kind of thing. Now Wesley's going to take us to the hindrances from without. Namely, he's going to talk about things like ill examples, an ill advice. To secure us from the former ill examples, he warns us to enter into the narrow gate, or as he calls it in this sermon, the straight gate, S T R A I T. That's a word for narrow. Think of like the Straits of Hormuz or the Bering Strait, a place where there's sort of a narrow passageway. And so that's the gate he's talking about. That's what keeps us from ill example, following the straight and narrow way, not following the crowd. And to secure us from ill advice, he warns us against false prophets, but Wesley says this particular sermon is going to focus on taking the wrong road first, about avoiding the ill example of taking the straight and narrow way. So let me read this text from Luke chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Of course, Wesley would have read from the King James. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now here in this text, Wesley's going to talk about this stark contrast between the way to heaven and the way to hell. In fact, he's going to talk about these in terms of inseparable properties, as he puts it, the inseparable, inseparable properties of the way to hell and then the inseparable properties of the way to heaven. And he starts with the way to hell because that's where Jesus starts talking about the way that leads to, to destruction. And every time I read this text, and if you're of a certain age, I'm sure you think of it too, you think of Bon Scott uh, singing about the highway to hell with ACDC. And that line, no stop sign, speed limit, nobody going to slow me down. It's a profound theological statement, even though he doesn't mean it that way when he sings it. But it always occurs to me when I think about this text, the wide and easy gate, the road that is really the highway to hell. And Wesley breaks this down uh, to give sort of a sense of what we mean when we're talking about the wide and easy road. Wide is the gate and broad is the way. And Wesley says that sin is the gate and wickedness is the way to destruction. How wide is the gate of sin and how broad the way of wickedness, he says. And just as God's commandments are broad, they apply to all of our actions, our words, our thoughts. Sin is equally broad. Because any breach of the commandments is sin. In fact, the the way of destruction is a thousand ways broader since there is only one way of keeping a commandment, but a thousand ways of breaking it. So the gate is wide indeed. The road is wide. There are many different ways we can violate a commandment, only really one way of keeping it, and that is to do it. As we've talked about before, we'll often try to find loopholes and other things to get around the requirements of God's commandments. So it's much easier to walk this broad way. Wesley says that sin extends widely from the carnal mind, which is an enmity with God. And that carnal mind is characterized by pride of heart, self-will, and love of the world. Indeed, you do see pride mentioned often, particularly by ancient authors, as kind of being the root of all kinds of sin. If you think of the seven deadly sins, pride usually appears at the top of the list because a lot of other things flow out of that pride, that self-will, that um, desire for the self. And Wesley says that things like pride and self-will and love of the world diffuse through all of our thoughts, much like leaven diffuses through a loaf, much like yeast, um, a little bit of yeast can can go through an entire loaf as it is rising. When we examine ourselves, we see that these roots of bitterness, this pride and self-will, infects our words and actions. It permeates our entire lives. And indeed, like yeast, it begins to multiply. It breeds innumerable offspring in every generation and every nation, covering the whole earth with darkness. So it's not just a problem with us individually. It's a problem that infects the entire human system across time and space. As Paul says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That wasn't just true at one time. It's true all the time. And so we don't have to go very far to find these things, pride and self-will and love of the world, in fact, we don't just find them among people we expect to find them among, amongst pagans, among those who who are far from God. But indeed, Wesley says, we find these, perhaps most insidiously, in those who name the name of Christ. And we, Wesley says, we see evidence of this in our own cities. Now, of course, he's writing in 18th century England, so he's talking about, you know, living life in, in what was ostensibly a Christian nation, but like he calls out the, the faculty and students at Oxford and scriptural Christianity, where is this kind of Christianity to be found? He's basically doing the same thing here. He says to his audience, we call ourselves reformed Protestant Christians, but who will reform our hearts and lives? The grossest kind of st- of sin still lives among us. Indeed, so wide and pervasive is sin that many enter that gate and walk in that way, even though they claim the name of Christ. Even in a Christian country, most people are walking in the way of destruction. Some may appear outwardly godly, but they are inwardly full of all kinds of uncleanness. They may be esteemed by men, but they are an abomination to the Lord. And how greatly will these saints of the world swell the numbers of the children of hell, says Wesley. Add to them those who seek to establish their own righteousness rather than seeking righteousness which comes from God by faith. In other words, there are many who are are outwardly religious, but they have not really responded to the gospel. Thus, they are walking the road that leads to destruction. And this isn't just about those who are poor or ignorant. As we've seen before in the Sermon on the Mount, many people who are wealthy and powerful are equally bound for destruction. Wesley says, the higher they are raised in fortune and power, the deeper do they sink into wickedness. The more blessings they have received from God, the more sins they commit using honor or riches or learning or wisdom, not as a means of working out their salvation, but of excelling in vice. This is the reason why many go in the broad way. It is broad. We see successful people going down that broad way, and a lot of people say, well, it's just easier to go that way. They seem to be having a much better life, so we should follow them. These are the inseparable properties of the highway to hell. And this bears some looking at, I think, because we, we tend to be heavily influenced by those who have the biggest microphone. We look at what's happening in our world, the celebrity culture, the constant news coverage, all that kind of stuff that's constantly throwing up this way in front of us and saying, this is the way you need to go. But we don't realize that most of the world is is on the road to destruction, on the highway to hell where there is no stop sign or speed limit. And so then Wesley contrasts this by turning to the inseparable properties of the way to heaven. So narrow is the gate, he says, that nothing unclean or holy can enter in. No sinner can pass through unless he is saved from all his sins. And not only from outward sins, but inward. He must be inwardly changed, thoroughly renewed in the spirit of his mind. Otherwise, he cannot pass through the gate of life and enter into glory. And that narrow way, here it comes back again. It's the universal way of holiness. It is the way of poverty, of spirit, of holy mourning, of meekness, of hungry and thirsting after righteousness. Narrow is the way of mercy, love, purity of heart, doing good to all, gladly suffering all kinds of evil for righteousness' sake. What is the way of holiness? Once again, we go back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and Wesley talking about the sum of all true religion, which is contained there in the Beatitudes. He's always dialing the sermon back to that introduction which is what a good sermon usually does. It tends to hit the same themes over and over again, but here Jesus is taking us back and saying, this is the narrow way. He's laid it out from the very beginning. And because these ways, these beatitudes are so counterintuitive to the way most people live their lives. This is why so few find the way only a small portion of mankind as even innocent of outward transgression, and an even smaller portion have their hearts right before God. Where are those who follow the way outlined in the Beatitudes? Wesley asks, essentially. How few are those lovers of God and man that spend their whole strength in doing good unto all men and are ready to suffer all things, yea, death itself to save one's soul from eternal death? Wesley asks. Where are those who follow in this way? I heard a seminary professor once say that true Christians are always a very small minority. And I think that's, that's really true. And it's something we have to look at ourselves. If we're listening to this podcast and as I'm doing it, it's the kind of thing that's always calling for self-examination. And I think those who are sincerely looking for that way, that narrow way are always evaluating, am I, am I living this way? Again, as we said in the very beginning, The Sermon on the Mount is kind of a measuring stick for us for real Christianity, what the real Christian life looks like. Does my life look like this? It was certainly that way for the early church. Is it that way for us? So there are numerous examples of those who are on the highway to hell, says Wesley, but far fewer take the narrow way. The road to hell is enticing, not because the rude and senseless senseless part of mankind is on it, although they may be, But because those who are seemingly sophisticated, worldly, and wise are on it as well, how do we stand against them when they are constantly seeking to prove that their way is right? Think about all the pundits, all the celebrities, all the people who stand up and tell us that their way is right, that uh, the Christian way often is quite wrong. And indeed, if you don't follow them, it's you who is in the wrong that the way of righteousness is narrow because it's the wrong way. I heard a bishop once say that that we need to take the broader way that um that the world is taking because otherwise we'll be will be left behind, will be will be seen as too narrow. And I kept thinking to myself, have you not even read this scripture that says the opposite of what you're saying? Wesley says these will make it clear to to a demonstration that evil is good and that good is evil, that the way of holiness is the way of destruction and the way of the world, the only way to heaven. So if you're feeling like someone's telling you that you're out of step, you're on the wrong path, you're not following the right way, you're on the wrong side of history, as we often say, well, then you're probably in a good place at this point because the narrow way is always going to have fewer people on it. Those who are on the Broadway that leads to destruction often play on the fears, though, of those who oppose them. And fear works when argument doesn't. We see this happening in our culture all the time as well, where people are being bullied into following a particular way of thinking uh, or falling into line with the, with the way that the world is, is talking about, that the way the culture is going. If you don't, you will be canceled And so out of fear of being canceled, fear of missing out, fear of being left out of the way of the world, a lot of people will simply give in and go down that way, not thinking about it, compromising it, rationalizing it, and so forth. And so it's little wonder that those who do not have a firm trust in God give in to that kind of pressure. That's how their example becomes a law to those who do not know God. They will simply cave in. Many rich, Wesley says, many of those who are wealthy are likewise in the broad way. We've talked about this too. They take counsel of their fears and desires. Remember Nelson Rockefeller, I need a little bit more than I have. There's always a sense of fear, fear of losing. But you cannot hold on to the way of the kingdom, says Wesley, unless you are dead to all below, unless you are crucified to the world, unless you desire nothing but God. We have to be careful about what way we're walking. The narrow way seems dark and uncomfortable to those who are on the highway to hell. They see it as a, as a place for outcasts. They see very few people walking in that way. And so they're unable to, to reason clearly. They think that those on the, on the narrow way just don't see how things really are, that they're not very wise, they're out of step. Quoting, quoting those who would be on the, the Broadway or the highway to hell, Wesley says, they, they would say about those on the narrow way, they know not how to prove what they profess to believe or to explain even what they say they experience. Those on the narrow way are seen as not honorable or noble people. They are of no interest or authority of, or account in the world. There is nothing to fear from them and nothing to hope and so because of this, they are spoken against and despised. They're cast out as evil, persecuted, treated as the filth and off-scouring of the world, as Wesley says, one of his, his uh, preferred phrases for those who are on the outs with the world. So it's little wonder that our natural inclinations turn us toward the broad way. To walk in the narrow way means to be out of step, to be out of the mainstream. But Jesus exhorts us to take the narrow way and though many are called to it, few will actually enter it. And Wesley here quotes from a parable in um, Luke 13, which is another way of, of looking at this text. Uh, um, Luke 13, of course, is that that um, particular parable about the narrow door and how that all comes together. And I'll pull it up here real quick while I'm talking, um, because I think it's uh, it's an important one. It's that Um, teaching about the narrow gate. Some will try to enter. um, But once the owner has gotten up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside, you knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then in reply, he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But we will say, I do not know where you came from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. This is in response to a question someone asks of Jesus, Lord, will only a few be saved? He says, try to enter through the narrow door. Many will try to enter and not be able, because once the door is shut, you can stand outside and pound on it, but you won't be let in. And um, this this is an important piece here for Wesley, kind of supporting, again, we look at the Gospels and look at how they parallel together. But in this particular instance here in Luke 13, In that particular parable, it seems that the delay in response to the word of the kingdom was the the problem, rather than not responding at all. But Wesley points out that whether it's a a matter of delay in response or refusal to respond, the result is the same. Those who did not strive after entering the narrow gate found the door was shut. They tried after the door was shut, but it was too late. And so the, the point here is about motivation. Are we striving after this narrow way, or are we hoping to fall into it, or are we going to wait until the door is shut and then discover that we were on the wrong path? Sort of like uh, a way I've heard it put before that a lot of people find themselves climbing the ladder of success only to find that it's been propped against the wrong building. I think that's true for this as well. We can often find that we're on the wrong road. Therefore, Wesley says, we should be striving now to enter the narrow gate, to make that the priority of our lives. He says, quote, if you are walking as the generality of men walk, you are walking to the bottomless pit, end quote, and many will travel with you in the same way. Here is a short, plain, and infallible rule before you enter into particulars in whatever profession you are engaged, you must be singular or be damned. The way to hell has nothing singular in it. The way to heaven is singularity all over. We've talked about the one thing, the singular I. All of that now comes back here in this particular text. Wesley's saying, unless you're focused on the one thing, unless you're focused on pleasing God, unless you're focused on walking the narrow way, uh, you will not find it. You've got to seek it. You've got to move toward God. And if you are moving even one step toward God, you are not as most other people are. And it is better, Wesley says, to stand alone in this than to fall into the pit. So run with perseverance the race that is set before you, even if your companions are few. Even if no one goes with you, even if you feel like you're standing alone. I always think of Elijah in First uh, Kings 19 who flees from Jezebel and is out in the desert, and he says, I'm all alone, and he wants to die. But the angel of the Lord comes to him, and, and God says to him, essentially, you're not, you're not alone. And Wesley says that too. Even though it feels like we're alone, we're not alone. In a while, we will come to the great cloud of witnesses, those who have stood. As, as God says to Elijah, there are 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There are people out there who are striving for that way. So enter into the narrow gate knowing how much danger you are in if you stay on the highway to hell. You are in that broad way so long as you are void of poverty of spirit and all the inward religion of the Beatitudes in which many, the rich, the wise, account as madness. Unless you're walking in the way of the Beatitudes. Unless that is your primary motivation, the sum of all true religion, real Christianity, then you're probably not on the right road. So strive to enter in, repenting, repenting that you have so long run with the unthinking crowd, neglecting that holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Now, you may be on the highway to hell. You may think, man, I've been on that road to destruction. I want to get off. There are exit ramps. And Wesley would say, I think that the exit ramp is repentance, faith, and holiness. That when we when we come to God in faith, when we are, are struck again by the by new birth and the faith, hope, and love that it presents, that initial sanctification, that growing in the image of God we were created to be, that is the exit ramp. And so responding to the gospel gets you off that way. Now, that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be popular. You're probably going to find yourself on the outs with those who are continuing down that road. But nonetheless, this narrow way is the only way that leads to life. It's the narrow way that is outlined by Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. So Wesley concludes the sermon like this. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Not only by this agony of soul, of conviction, of sorrow, of shame, of desire, of fear, of unceasing prayer, but likewise by ordering thy conversation aright, by walking with all thy strength in all the ways of God, the way of innocence, of piety, and of mercy, abstain from all appearance of evil, do all possible good to all men, deny thyself thy own will in all things, and take up thy cross daily. Be ready to cut off thy right hand, to pluck out thy right eye and cast it from thee, to suffer the loss of goods, friends, health, all things on earth, so thou mayest enter into the kingdom of heaven. The way of the Sermon on the Mount is real Christianity. It's the way to the kingdom. It is the narrow way, the only way that leads to life. So I encourage you to give this sermon a read. Even though this is just a couple of verses here in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of stuff that is bound up within them. And read them in the context of everything you've read previously in the Sermon on the Mount. It's really important to ask ourselves all the time, what way am I walking? Where am I destined for? And to listen to the world around us and ask the question, what kind of path is that calling me to take? Am I simply walking this way because everybody else is on it? Or am I walking a way that may seem strange and even uh, even be hostile according to others, but the way that leads to life? Well, I hope that you will continue to dive into these particular discourses on the Sermon on the Mount. Again, I find them incredibly rich and incredibly challenging. And I encourage you, if you are uh, looking for more To grab a copy of Wesley's sermons, to have them in book form, that can always be really helpful, Um, particularly the uh, Ken Collins and Jason Vickers version of Wesley's sermons. That's a really helpful outline to the sermons. We're going to be looking at more and more of them. You can also find them online. I put them in the show notes, so make sure you check those out. Read the sermon uh, before or after you listen. And, uh, And... Share the podcast with someone else who may be interested in learning more about Wesleyan theology. We're not terribly unique, but we do emphasize some things that I think are are vitally important, particularly that way of holiness, and this is one of those key sermons that helps us get there. Once again, if you have additional questions, you can email them to me at pastorbk at tlumc.org. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RevBKaler. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on that platform, it does help drive traffic to our site. Thanks again for joining me for Wednesdays with Wesley. And here's a little more harpsichord music for you as we leave. I'll see you back here next week.